I'm Alex Mosed. You're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So we may notice that today is Thursday and it's T-shirt Thursday. <laughs> Nick has, joined by Nick Johnson, co-author of Modern Monopolies, Nick has his Star Wars T-shirt on. And it's, I've got some new winner take all swag on. It's Star Wars Day and Winner Take All Swag Day. That's right. And if you like these t-shirts, stay tuned. More information on that. So we just had DA Wallach on on Monday as a guest speaker. We dove really deep into what's going on with um prescription drug pricing, what's going on with marketplaces and the distribution of of drugs. Um what are the incumbents doing? How are they trying to cramp the style of the disruptors? All these kinds of things. It just so happened that literally the day after, the Eli Lilly CEO, big pharma company, Eli Lilly, was on Jim Cramer's show. And they were talking about uh, Warren, who had been, you know, I guess using, I don't know if she called out Eli Lilly specifically, maybe, I guess. I think, I think the insulin which Eli Lilly is a, is a big primary man, yeah, manufacturer of, of was something that came up as part of this conversation, right. which is why they got called out. So then Jim Cramer said, well, what's going on with this insulin stuff? Eli, uh, David Ricks is the CEO. David, are you guys, you know, jacking up the prices or what's going on here? So let's listen into a little bit of this. The vast majority of pharmacies do not offer access to this drug. Is this a real problem that Lilly should have been addressing? And what are you going to say about it? That's nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. Well, so there two senators. Well, uh, there's only a hundred of them. Well, look, I, I haven't read the details of the report. Okay. I read their press release. Okay. I can tell you what the facts are today. Many policymakers encouraged us to just lower the price of insulin. Right. We did that. We launched a half price of our best-selling product to say, okay, yes, there are some situations where patients have a high deductible plan. They're exposed to more of the right. list price when they're paying. Right. Or in January, which is right around the corner, people's deductible resets. Yes. Let's give them a low price alternative. We could argue whether half price is enough. It's a pretty big difference. Okay, this is literally what we spoke about on the show the day prior on Monday. What he's saying is, because when you have a high list price and you're, that means that your deductible if, 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 if the list price is higher, that means you as the consumer are going to be out of pocket more money because the deductible would theoretically be higher. Um, or if your plan starts over in January, you kind of, you know, you need to spend sometimes on some plans, you need to spend a certain amount of money to, to hit a cap. Right. And then, so and then you as insurance. a consumer, if you're buying, paying for it yourself, whether you don't have insurance or are paying the deductible, you always pay the list price. But what the insurance company actually pays is what's called the net price. When he's talking about rebates, he's saying you pay the net price, which is what we talked about with DA, which is the pharma company will give a rebate to that uh, insurance company or the the uh, pharmacy benefit manager that they've negotiated. When you buy this drug, we give you this amount of money back. So you're not actually paying the final amount that comes out of pocket for the insurance company isn't the list price. It's actually the net price, which is basically list price minus rebate. But you don't get that benefit as a consumer. You don't get that benefit. And so if the list price is higher, you could be you, more consumers would potentially be disadvantaged. Right. So what he's saying is we launched a lower list price version of insulin and half, half list price, which is pretty significant. We made that available this spring. It's distributed widely. But I would say on the availability of pharmacies, one of the three major national wholesalers has chosen not to cover it. Some pharmacies have chosen not to carry it. Why? 
because this exposes the underlying economics in our system. It's what that report should talk about, right. which is that the middlemen, both in the supply chain as well as PBMs insurance companies, prefer high list price products okay. with a lot of rebate. This has a lower list price and less rebate. Okay, why do they prefer higher list price and more <laughs> rebate? Okay, well, you know what? We got answers for you. Okay, here it is. You got to spend 80% of premiums taken in basically on healthcare for right. people. So if they're spending more on the list price for a drug, then it's easier to comply with that 80% ratio, even if they then get stuff back in rebates. Is that roughly right, DA? Yeah. The, the issue is that if you're an insurance company, you know, you collect a, a million dollars from the people you insure um, under Obamacare, you, you are required to spend 80% of that premium on right covering those people's healthcare costs. And as I point out in the article, the reason they put this in Obamacare was before that, you had insurance companies who were going after these crazy margins. And so uh, that policy attempted to cap the, the margin, the profit margin that an insurance company could generate. Now, it creates many perverse incentives. One of those incentives is, of course, if you want you're 20% to be bigger. What do you do? Well, you want all of the costs to be higher. All of the costs to be higher, you raise your list prices. It, it doesn't make any actual practical sense, but this is the system that we have, um, which the regulation has, as, as he was saying, these perverse incentives. So um, listen to, you can listen into that full episode. This link is, is at the top of our Twitter right now um, with this highlight clip here. Really good session with DA and uh, certainly more to come on this topic. So, okay. Um, oh, this is a funny one. Okay. So Fudan University is one of the top Chinese universities. And we've spoken about how the Chinese government is literally putting teams of government officials into the top tech monopolies to make sure that they comply. Um, and now the the charter of this Fudan University uh, has changed. And how has it changed? Um, <clears throat> this also happened on December 17th. So the, cha the changes went into effect in early December. In the original version of the charter, the university said that its educational philosophy was in, in accordance to the values advocated in its school song which are academic independence and freedom of thought. In the revised version, freedom of thought was taken out. <laughs> um, and there's more. So now they added sentences that emphasize the firm leadership uh, of the party over the school, the party being the Communist Party, such as the university sticks to the party's leadership, fully implements the party's policies on education, and adheres to Marxism as the guiding philosophy and socialism as the foundation of the school's operation to the Constitution, and that the school should always serve the people, serve the party's governance of China. Uh, and serve, the, it goes more, there's serve the consolidation and development of Chinese, of China's socialist system with Chinese characteristics um, Oh, it also said the university needs to equip its teachers and employees with Xi Jinping thought. <laughs> I don't, it's funny. I, it's kind of, I think it's hilarious. Um, anyway, I mean, 
We've seen this trend carry itself out with the tech monopolies. You're now seeing this very clearly going into the top universities and the education system in China. They want to uh, control you and control how you uh, behave and now how you think. Well, I guess they were already doing the thinking, wanted to control the thinking. They've just added it to the mission now. <laughs> now it's clearly spelled out. Uh, if anyone had any questions or doubts about what they needed to be thinking um, in China. So an unfortunate turn of events, but not surprising nonetheless. Um, bum, 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 bum. Okay. Uber. We've spoken about, I think maybe the last or maybe two episodes ago. Uber we, Eats. We spoke about. Uh, Uber Eats, or we spoke about Delivery Hero acquiring the business in uh, South, South Korea. Korea. Right, which about, and Uber Eats had just exited from South Korea Uber Eats because is, they were number three. Yes. Delivery Hero and this company they acquired uh, were number one and two, and they consolidated basically to make a dominant number one. Yeah. So another so, another story on that front. Well, so here it is, right? here. They spell it out here. During his visit, that's Stara, CEO of Uber, during his visit to India in October this year, Dara said the company remains committed to India, but avoided the question about the future. Right now, the market is very, very competitive. A few very strong competitors. Generally, I would tell you that we want to be the number one or number two in every single market. Right now in India, we're the number three. And so the team knows there's a big lift ahead of them, but we're on the game. Don't really know what that means, but I think what it means is they're going to look at selling their business in India. <laughs> Because they want to be number one and number two, and they're number three. I mean, pretty much spelled it out. So anyway, this article leaked a few days ago. Look at Uber stock. Bam. Uh, up a couple bucks. Um, nice little jump. Uber is now over $50 billion in market cap, uh, hovering currently around 30 bucks a share. So not where it IPO'd at, but, uh, you know, if, if you... I'm in back. Yeah, I mean, if you... Um, you know, when I, I'd say, yeah, and it got to the kind of the mid 20s here, it probably bottomed out around 25.99, about 26 bucks. And I think we'll see this trend line go back up uh, over the coming months and quarters as, as we see them just double down on being number one or number two. Right. Which is an interesting test case of, you know, just winner, winner take all. Winner take all. Right. Because they, they, they not only whole- is it on the wall, it's on the shirt. And it's in Uber's core thesis. They're saying these are winner-take-all markets. We're going to be number one or number two because if we're not, we don't matter and we're going to lose money. So yeah. their, their drive to profitability is it's a winner-take-all market. We got to be number one or number two. Yeah. No one wants to be the Windows phone. <laughs> Who wants to be Windows? No one wants to be Windows phone. Bill Gates doesn't want to be. Steve Ballmer doesn't want to be Windows phone. No one wants to be Windows phone. You're either the iPhone or Android. Or you're not. Or you got to buy like Nokia and waste a bunch of money. But it won't matter because you're number three. You're starting to see this play out, right? You're starting to see uh, the consolidation play itself out globally. And we're seeing it within domestic markets like the United States as well. So selling out doesn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, actually. They're just cleaning up their, their P&L and their profitability. Uh, ben Bath & Beyond. So this guy, new CEO, Mark Tritton, he came there from Target. And in two months, he's cleaned house, six members, and on Tuesday, Bed Bath & Beyond announced that six members of its C-suite were leaving. I mean, basically everyone but the CFO got cleaned out. Mm-hmm. Three of the six had been with Bed Bath & Beyond for more than 20 years. 
Bringing in fresh perspectives from new innovative leaders of change. Mark is having a, a wholesale change in the future of Bed Bath & Beyond. And um, he's got a lot of work to do, clearly. And I guess, yeah, the executive team just wasn't on board. So it's, um, I mean, kudos to this guy to take the job, you know, to go from, to, from Target to take now the, the head role in Bed Bath & Beyond, which has a much smaller retail presence. Um, yeah, I guess like home goods. Could you have a specialized marketplace in home goods? I mean, you have home furniture, which is a home part of furniture. what they do. So I think they definitely could get into that. Obviously, you have Wayfair, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't a marketplace, mostly operates kind of as a reseller, but it's still quite dominant. It has a lot of a lot of products. You have Walmart in that space as well. So it would be... It would be tough, I think, for them to get in there, but I think they certainly uh, need to figure out something they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, maybe. I don't know. My, my guess is there's going to be some more store closings. Uh, they're going to need to find a way to get deeper into e-commerce. Uh, maybe they do explore marketplaces, but I have a feeling that might be a little bit further out than, say, the next three, four months if they're going through that much of a, a crisis mode. There are some furniture marketplace startups that are out there. Um, Especially with secondhand goods, but uh, you know, for for new retail stuff, it's kind of a different story. So, um, maybe yeah, furniture marketplaces, but you're gonna have to go do some M and A, and there are some startups in the space. Maybe something like that could make sense for them, but yeah, that's gonna be an uphill battle. Um, so the last point here, it's actually is a nice segue, is around dry powder. And when we think about this concept of how can these incumbents bridge the world of what a platform and a marketplace business model needs from the incumbent business, that's where this dry powder concept comes into play, which is to say this, how can you siphon off a lot of these intrinsic assets that are locked up inside of a large, what we would call linear enterprise and channel those assets into a new platform entity? The biggest challenges for a platform entity are around scale and solving the chicken and egg problem. So when you look at the technology, the technology is actually very often commoditized. And really the name of the game is around scale. And so large traditional enterprises have scale solved for, in many ways, very well. The question is, how can you transfer those assets Uh, and channel them into your separate platform entity. Whether you build that platform entity from scratch or whether you go buy uh, a a startup marketplace business in this case. So there's a couple examples. One would be around um, capturing latent demand. So latent demand could be, hey, I'm doing e-commerce revenue. Uh, If I'm doing e-commerce revenue, could I have that e-commerce revenue now just go into my marketplace business or I could use my marketplace model and have that take the place of my e-commerce store. Now, that is very risky because that means that instead of you selling all of the product that is on your balance sheet in a traditional e-commerce model, now you are letting other third-party sellers compete with the inventory on your balance sheet and compete with the buyers internal into your organization, if we're talking in a kind of retail world here. And so how you open that up and how you bridge that gap is a very delicate balance. Other things that you find, particularly in in the B2B distribution world, are this concept of um, 
you know, cross-selling other products from other distributors. If you're a distributor in one vertical uh, of, of say, the electrical or building materials industry, maybe you don't stock all of the products across the spectrum. Maybe you have to go and buy products from other distributors to cater to a customer's needs. You know, maybe you have a majority of the products, but you don't have all the products. But now you're buying products from other distributors. How can you tap into that kind of complementary demand, right? You're already going and buying inventory and buying product from people that you might classify as competitors. That is a natural extension of a marketplace model. Another example would be um, in the banking industry, where if you're a bank, you're probably rejecting 30 to 50% of a personal consumer loan or a small business loan, these riskier loans. Um that are not to a, a mid or large size enterprise that maybe has a, a, a meteor balance sheet. And so you're rejecting 30 to 50% of your customer base. FinTech lenders would absolutely salivate at the opportunity to lend to probably at least half of those 30 to 50% of people that you're turning down. <clears throat> That's the kind of latent demand that we're talking about, right? Where literally with the flip of a switch, you can say, okay, I'm going to channel this demand flow into my marketplace, my platform entity. And what that does to bring your suppliers of your marketplace, of your platform much closer to the platform, uh, it's, it's very hard to actually place a dollar amount on that. I'd actually say it's probably priceless. Even if you, let's say you channel $250 million in latent demand into your marketplace, is that worth $250 million in VC capital? No, I'd actually probably say it's more because you raise $250 million in VC capital. That doesn't magically translate into $250 million of demand. If you were to... It helps you overcome that chicken and egg problem, which without that demand, hard to get the supply and vice versa. And you see that as a, a big problem for all platform businesses and just throwing money at it doesn't necessarily solve it. Well, throwing money is just what well, you're, you're just boiling the ocean, which actually just creates these perverse incentives in your consumers. And it's not actually an accurate representation of how the market would want to interact with the platform. So you're kind of like, if you pump that much money in so aggressively, now you probably have negative gross margins or all these other crazy things. But so it's organic demand or it's natural demand, which is actually much more genuine and powerful, I would say. That's just on the demand side. Now I love, when I think about dry powder, Capturing that latent demand, those different examples of it. There's other, there's other examples of it as well. I'd say that's the driest of powders. That is the most powerful connection that a traditional enterprise can bring to the platform entity. That said, there are other, I'd say, softer dry powder examples that would say that would look at things like bringing inventory to the marketplace, bringing data about pricing and, and consumer behavior bringing your supplier relationships and access to supply into, uh, into the marketplace. Um, using your value-added services, if this is a marketplace, it could be around logistics or fulfillment or providing credit. If it's a bank, it could be around that, not only just credit facility, credit underwriting facility, but the collections infrastructure and the repayments and the servicing of the loans, right? So all of these value-added services that every large enterprise has. Um, not to mention, the brand and the trust that comes with that brand and how you could then try to associate the brand in a loose way, uh, not, not 
too explicitly because you kind of want to have some separation from the core brand, but you can have some loose affiliation with the brand for this new platform entity. Um, you round that all together, you got a handful of very powerful, what I would call unfair advantages, what I would call this dry powder concept. And if you can figure out how to closely blink, bring that platform, separate platform entity that you're either building from scratch or you're buying a small startup and then layering these, layering in these advantages from the core enterprise, uh, you, you figure out how to put the two of those things together. Right, you, you've That's got that valuable. dry powder. You got to figure out how you're going to load the cannon so that you can uh, blast off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what once you can achieve that breakout scale. Now it really starts to compound upon itself, right? If you can rig one or hopefully both sides of the demand and supply equation, then that really is the game to get that breakout scale. And then they really start to feed off of each other. That's also what we would call hitting critical mass, right? Where now the network effects work for you rather than against you. And then you also will start to see some benefits back to the core business from the new platform business as that thing starts to grow as well. In addition to obviously the equity value or profits from that business itself. Yeah, you're building enterprise value in the platform entity and you are figuring out how these two, the, the, the linear business and the platform business can work together. And what that would do is to Wall Street is that would say that, hey, you know what? I actually have a more defensible business. My multiples in my core business should probably be regarded a little bit more strongly. You know, maybe I have a little bit of a stickier relationship with my customer. Maybe I have a little bit of a more defensible positioning in the industry because I've figured out how to put my traditional linear business together with this new fast growth platform business. Um, and that's really the holy grail. You're building... EV enterprise value in this platform entity, and you're getting a bump on your multiples in the core business. That's the holy grail. That's a big deal, uh, and that's what's uh, that's what the next twenty years is going to be about, folks. So, thank you so much for joining us on Winner Take All. If you've made it through all the way to this episode, and you are one of our big super fans, we want to give you a little holiday present, which would be, of course, a Winner Take All T-shirt. See this. So this is platforms eating the world. You got our little oh, here platform logo um, eating the world. And, uh, and we'll also send you a signed book. This guy. Uh, all you need to do is email me. Just email me your address. And my email is AJM, M is in Mary, at applicoinc.com, A-P-P-L-I-C-O. Inc.com. Shoot me a note, shoot me your information, and we'd love to send you a little holiday present. Thank you so much for joining us today on Winner Take All. I don't think I'm going to talk to you again until the holidays are over. So, everyone, have a great holiday. Have a very winner take all Christmas and, and New Year. Yeah, very winner take all Christmas and New Year. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one.